evening and he got mugged. He got robbed. Well, when he got home, he wrote this in his journal that day. He said, first, let me be thankful because I was not robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Even in the midst of a, of a bad situation, of a terrifying, uh, I guess you'd say, experience, he still showed thankfulness. He exuded that thankfulness. Another preacher said these words, May God who's given us so much give us one more thing, a grateful heart. Now I want to tell you something, church. God's word makes it abundantly clear that thanksgiving for the followers of Jesus Christ, it is not just a day we celebrate, it is to be a life that we live. Daily, we're to be living thanksgiving. Or to put it another way, daily, we should be living thanksgiving. So the world sees it in us. Do you realize, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but two of the most frequent commands of Scripture are, one, be joyful, and the other one, be thankful. Joy and gratitude, they go hand in hand. And you know what? Joy and gratitude are not options that God gives us based on our circumstances. They are to be priorities we live by despite our circumstances. And that's only possible when joy and gratitude in our lives and our heart is based not on the world around us, but based on who it is that lives within us. King David wrote in Psalm chapter 30, verse 11 and 12, he cries out to God in worship, and this is what he says. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You've taken away my sackcloth and ashes or my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. You know what, Christian? Instead of grumbling about our temporary circumstances, God wants those of us that have tasted His grace, that have experienced His goodness, he wants us to radiate with a joyful, grateful heart and grateful attitude because of what He's done for us and because of His eternal promises. Now there are some enemies that we constantly, Christian, have to fight against. I mean day in and day out. We have to fight against these enemies because these enemies try to destroy gratitude, try to destroy our thanks living that we're to do each and every day. And the first enemy I want to tell you about that we have to fight about is the enemy of familiarity. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, let me explain it this way. And we have I've said it, Brother Aud said it, uh, about how blessed we are. And it's true. Are we not blessed? Okay, I had three people say it. Do I need to say it a little louder? Do we need to turn the mic up? My voice is a little weak. Are we not blessed, church? We are blessed in so many ways. But here's what we do. We are so blessed it's easy for us to become casual or too familiar about the things of God or the blessings of God. And what we do when we come, become familiar with it, we take those blessings for granted. And then in our heart and mind, we reduce God down to the level of some grumpy grandpa that's constantly telling us what's right and wrong. But we tolerate Him and we love Him because He keeps sending us checks but we don't really want to spend time with Him, and we don't want to know Him any better. So we have to fight constantly against that attitude of familiarity. Church, let me tell you something. I think we need to remember Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now let me say something to you. 
We need to remember, yes, God is good. God is loving. God is forgiving. He is gracious. But also, God is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He describes Himself in Scripture as an all-consuming fire. He is the righteous, eternal judge of every person, everywhere, in every generation. He's the one that thought you up, that created you, that breathed life into you, and gave you life. And He's the one that determines where your soul will be forever. So let me remind you of this. What you and I don't know about God dwarfs what we do know about God. We have to fight against that enemy every day that tries to destroy gratitude and thankfulness in our heart and lives. Let me tell you the second enemy. We have to fight against entitlement. It's bad for our generation today, isn't it? Entitlement. You say, well, I don't believe entitlement exists in the church. Give me a break. They're human beings make up the church. Entitlement exists. Now, I think maybe, I, I don't believe I have to explain what entitlement is. Folks, but entitlement is the belief that we inherently deserve privileges or special treatments or that we have the right to something. For instance, people say things along this line. You know, I, I've remained sexually pure. Uh, I've pursued Christ with all my life. Why am I still single? Don't I deserve the blessings of marriage. You know, preacher, I have been faithful to Christ. I've been a faithful servant in the church. I have been faithful with my finances. So tell me, why do I still struggle at the end of the month? I deserve better than that. I deserve a higher paying job like some of my other Christian friends have. Or as a pastor, now I'm going to use that term loosely, uh, about a week or so ago, not exact words, but along this line, I have been faithful in ministry for several years now. I deserve a bigger church or a better church. No, son, you don't even deserve the church you have because you're not a pastor. You're a hireling. And you need to do something else because God did not call you if that's your attitude. And if you're watching, you know exactly who you are. We have to fight against that entitlement. And I want want to say this, folks. The truth is, as sinners, the only thing we deserve is God's wrath, God's judgment, and eternity in hell. Anything we have other than that is by the grace of God. Christ is the only one who has ever walked the face of this earth who has been entitled to every blessing God the Father could give. Yet Christ chose to give all that up. His desires, His comforts, His rights for our eternal good. The third enemy we have to fight against that wants to destroy gratitude in our heart and life that wants to, to keep us from thanks living, we have to fight against instant gratification. There's another one that's real popular in our society today. Instant gratification. Uh, that's when we do something or want something that brings short-term pleasure, uh, but often brings long-term pain or problems. Somebody described instant gratification as this. It's the disease of the now. And it plagues our world. It even plagues the church. You say, why would you say it? Because nobody likes to be patient. Nobody likes to wait, do they? Oh, y'all like to wait. When I get home from church, I don't like to wait to eat. I can say that because Marsha's in the nursery. Don't tell her I said that. But, uh, but folks, let me ask you. Have you ever noticed in the Bible there's a whole lot of waiting going on? I mean, honestly. Uh, there's a lot of waiting going on. Think about Noah. Uh, Noah, he waited for months to get off that ark. Think about Abraham. He waited for years to have his first son. 
uh, Israel. They waited for 400 years to be delivered from slavery. The world waited for centuries for the Son of God to come, for the Messiah to be born. Waiting is a necessary part of growing as a person, also growing as a follower of Christ. The need for instant uh, gratification, folks, that stunts our spiritual growth. Instant gratification, it cannot grow your patience. It won't grow your contentment or self-control. Instant gratification, it lessens your overall uh, appreciation because you're quickly to move on to the next thing you've got to feel, have, or do. When you refuse to wait... And I know my kids, they get tired of hearing things like this. But when you refuse to wait, you hinder your ability to see how your current decision affects your future. Let me put it to you like this. If you don't have a sense of how your yesterday affects your today, then you're going to care very little about how your decisions today affect your tomorrow. And your attitude is going to be, I want what I want, what makes me happy, and I want it now, and I don't care about the consequences. And that leads to the attitude the Bible says, let's eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now all these things I mentioned, they fight against a grateful heart, against a thankful heart, against thanks living in our lives. But I'm not here to talk about that. I want to talk to you about what motivates, what fuels a thankful heart. Notice verse 15, uh, folks, in Colossians 3. Matter of fact, let me, let me read this to you. Colossians 3, verse 15 through 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, this was my dad's favorite verse, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now I want you to notice verse 15. The first thing we're told is... Uh, that grateful heart that thanks living, it's fueled by a heart that is ruled by the peace of Christ. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body. Now every English translation, with the exception of the King James and the New King James, translates that verse, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ, folks, is a one-of-a-kind peace. It's peace that comes from Jesus Himself. And it's offered as a gift to those who will receive it and who will submit to it. Understand, Christian, this peace that I'm talking about isn't given just to calm our nerves. It's given to rule our hearts. Jesus said, John 14, 27, a verse many of you know. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not peace as the world giveth, give I unto you. And He says, and everybody knows this verse, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. Now, Christian, that almost sounds like that we have a choice in the matter. You know why it sounds like we have a choice in the matter? Because we do have a choice in the matter. You see, you can trust what you see, or you can trust the one who is in control of everything that you see and that you do not see. The choice is yours. So there is a peace that passes all understanding, that bypasses your mind, goes straight to your heart, and it rules it and it leads it. And Christian, you and I have a choice over what or who rules and leads our hearts. Look at verse 15. Look at that word rule. That's pretty interesting. It's an athletic term. And, and actually, if we put it in modern language, it means umpire or referee. So it literally says, let the peace of Christ umpire your hearts. 
You know, in any game or competition, whatever it is, when you got teams competing with one another, a lot of things are going on, and the umpire or the referee, uh, they call the shots. They dictate how it goes. When any conflict arises in a game, they make the final decision of how it's going to be settled. So, if I'm truly in Christ, and He's in me, then His peace umpires my life. His peace calls the shots in my life. That means whenever conflict creeps up, that means whenever problems press in, I can respond the right way by choosing to the listen to listen to the one who is the ultimate authority in my life. Not what the world says, not what other people say, but what Jesus says. Now I don't know about you, but speaking for me, I'm going to choose to trust not in what I can see, but in the power the preeminence and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who loves me, came for me, died for me, saved me, and now walks through every part of my life with me. And when I cling to the peace of Christ, that is the person of Christ, then it calms my heart. It focuses my mind. You know, another amazing miracle this peace will do for you, the peace of Christ, it, it won't just provide harmony in your heart, but it also provides harmony in your church. Look at verse 15 again. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, or the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called into one body. So Paul is speaking to the whole church. Many members, but one church. They're all connected. So you know this, but it's good to be reminded of it. Since we're all connected, when one part is troubled, it affects the rest. When one part is fearful, it shakes the rest. The peace of Christ isn't just to rule the Christian, it is to rule the church. Did you know that people who can't get along with others, they generally cannot get along with themselves? You know why? Because the peace of Christ is not ruling in their hearts. People that are negative, people that are critical, people that are always unhappy and they're unhappy with everybody because they're unhappy with themselves and the wound that they're wanting to inflict on others is a wound that they carry in their own heart, that they carry in their lives and it's a lack of the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts. Listen to me, Christian. When the, when the peace of Christ is not ruling in our hearts, it will produce a lack of peace ruling in the church and you can count on that fact. Thanksgiving is fueled by a heart that's ruled by the peace of Christ. But also, the second thing, look at verse 15 and 17. It's, real, it's, it's fueled by a mouth filled with thanksgiving to Christ. Verse 15, he says, and be thankful. It says again at the end of verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. Now listen, both are meant to be continuous the way they're written in the original language. Keep on being thankful. Keep on thanks. In other words, uh, keep giving thanks. Never stop. Never quit. The Bible, you know, the Bible's full of commands to be thankful, but look at that word that Paul uses, verse 15. You may want to underline that. You can't see it in the English language, but it is the only time that word is used in the entire New Testament. And the Greek word is hard to say, eucharistos. And it, what it is, it's one word, but it combines two words. It combines peace and thankfulness rolled up into one word. And you know, when you think about it, that really, that makes good sense. Makes perfect sense. Because a heart full of the peace of Christ, it will definitely produce a mouth full of gratitude to Christ. Amen? It'll come out. What's in the well is going to come out in the bucket. It'll overflow. 
But a heart that lacks the peace of Christ will, will belong to a mouth that lacks praise for Christ. They go together. How many of you remember in Luke 17, and I know you do, the, the, the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers? Remember that? There were ten of them. But we're told in verses, I think, 15 and 16, that out of the ten lepers that were healed, only, only one of them came back. One of them stopped, and it says, He turned, giving praise to God. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, and he said those two precious words. Thank you. Thank you. And the Bible says Jesus was stunned. He asked, where's the other nine? I've always wondered, why, why would Jesus ask that? Well, think about this. Jesus hadn't just given back their health. He gave them back their families, their friends, their dignity, their future. He actually, in essence, raised them from the dead. He gave them their lives back, but only one returned to express his gratitude and his adoration. Now, wouldn't, that been, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we could ask these other nine lepers, just go to them and ask them, hey, I'm just curious, why did you not go back and tell Jesus thanks? Why did you not just offer, I mean, you had to be thankful for what he did for you. Why did that praise, that thanksgiving not come out of your mouth? Why didn't you tell him? I wonder what answers we'd get. I'm sure one of them would say, well, you know, I just, I just did what he told me to do. I went and showed myself to the priest. Another one might have said, well, you know what? I hadn't seen my family in a while. And, and, and I, went to see, I went to see them first. And, you know, I meant to go back. I just lost track of time. Somebody else might have said, well, I am really grateful. But I didn't know that he expected that. I mean... Why would he expect me to do that? Isn't that his job? Somebody else might have said this. I didn't go back because I'm really, I'm not sure Jesus healed me. I mean, lately, I've been trying these new super herb supplements, and they advertise that they cure leprosy, and I've been taking these, and you know, I thought maybe it was just coincidence that I was healed at the very moment that Jesus spoke to me. And somebody else probably said something like lines. You know, I may be healed, but I look 10 years older than I did before. I mean, really, if he's truly the one that healed me, why didn't he make me look younger too? Now listen to me, even though none of us have had, I don't think, physical leprosy, we've all had it spiritually. You see, leprosy in the Bible always represents sin, suffering, and shame. And just as physical leprosy was incurable and fatal, so is spiritual leprosy. Sin, it is incurable, it is fatal. That's why Paul writes in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Folks, we're all born with a terminal disease of sin. And it causes us to be spiritual outcasts. And there's not a thing we can do about that on our own. It's in our genetic code. It's in our makeup. We got it from our parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents all the way back to Adam and Eve. And again, it's incurable. It's fatal. Now, if you'll study Scripture, you'll find no one in the Bible was ever medically cured of leprosy. They were always miraculously cleansed of leprosy. Let me remind you of something. You and I, we were not, we cannot be cured of sin. We must be cleansed of sin. And how are we cleansed of sin? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now let me ask you this. Do you think the other nine lepers who didn't go back, and, and I said this a while ago, do you think they were thankful? I mean, I believe they were. How could they not be grateful? I mean, it had to be in their hearts. Feeling thankful, though, isn't the same as giving thanks, is it? 
I mean, they felt thankful, but they didn't express it. And I believe Jesus expected more of them than just being grateful in their heart. I believe he expected them to express it, to say it, to show it, to demonstrate it. You say, why do you believe that? Because why in the world did Jesus ask, where are the other nine? Listen to me, gratitude isn't just a feeling you feel, it's a response you give to communicate how you feel. And the intensity of your response, that should mirror the intensity and the depth of your gratitude. Let me read you a verse, Christian. Hebrews 12, 28. <clears throat> Since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. So let me ask you a question. What if God decided He was going to match His level of blessing for you with your level of passion, gratitude, and intensity and worship of Him? And put it this way, what if God used the same measure of blessing on you that you use blessing him today, showing him gratitude, showing him love? What do you think that'd look like? How do you think your blessings would be? I read about a woman who was at the hospital and got a bad report, and she was so mad at God. She was a Christian woman, but she was so mad at God. She was leaving the hospital and saw the chapel there, and she thought, well, that's it. I'm going I'm to give God a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell him what I think. I'm going to tell God all. So she walked in that little chapel. Now this woman's problem is what I talked about a few minutes ago. She had the attitude of entitlement and she had the, had the attitude of familiarity. And I'm sure going on in her heart and her mind, I'm a faithful Christian. I'm committed to the church. I serve the church. I, I tell others about Christ. I've prayed to you, God. I've prayed to you. So why is this happening to me? I deserve better. And on her way, walking down the aisle of that little chapel, she was going to the front pew because she wanted to get right down front. She wanted to tell God exactly what she thought. Well, she stumbled and fell about the time she got to the front pew and landed on her hands and knees. And when she went to get up, she saw on the bottom step of that altar, there was an engraving. And it said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. At that moment... Her heart broke. And she began to realize that uh, God had been so loving, so merciful, so kind to her, more than she could ever possibly have deserved. So instead of blaming God for her trouble and asking God to heal her body, she just simply thanked him for his grace and asked him to simply give her more mercy to endure whatever happened. Friend, thanks living is fueled by a mouth filled with thanksgiving by a heart ruled by the peace of God. Let me just say, how long have you really expressed, has it been, if ever, that you have ex truly expressed the thanksgiving in your heart to God? Well, God knows. Yeah, God knows. But he expects you to express it. Look at the third thing. Verse 16. Thanks living is fueled by a church consumed with the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Paul uses the plural form of you there. Uh, you know, let the word of Christ dwell in you. You can't see it the way it's written here, but uh, it would be like in Oklahoma lingo, it, it would be let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. It's plural. You say, why are you making a big deal about that? Because Paul is talking to them as a unified body of believers. 
as a church family. And I say this because I realize today it's a popular, trendy thing for many people to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I have no use for the church. You know, I, I'm spiritual, I'm a Christian, I just don't believe in organized religion. There's a Greek phrase for that. You know what it is? Baloney. Listen to me, friend. You could read the Bible in a dark room with one eye closed, half asleep, and you cannot miss the inescapable conclusion that the church is God's idea. God designed the church, and His will is for every individual believer to be part of a larger body of believers. God designed us so we need one another. People say, well, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in the church. No, you're not. If you're truly a Christian and Christ, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you see the need for the church. It's like any part of your body. Apart from your body, it doesn't make any sense, does it? You know, a hand is great when it's connected to the body. Legs, they're wonderful when they're connected to the body. Toes, they're essential when they're connected to the body. But the moment a hand, leg, or toes aren't connected, they have no ability and they have very little value. It's when the individual members of the body are connected together and with life flowing through all of them that the body functions the way God designed it to function. So it is with members of Christ's body, with the church. Each member has ability and value, but only when connected to the body. All, let me put it this way. Life lived with consistent gratitude and thankfulness. It requires that you be connected to the church. I can't put it any plainer than that. Paul describes what it looks like when the word of Christ is dwelling among God's people in the church. He says there is teaching. There's admonishing. Uh, they're singing. So they're teaching one another with the word of God. They're admonishing one another with the word of God. They're psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. They are to allow the word of God to dwell in them. And he's speaking to us as well by singing with gratitude in our hearts to the Lord. And we're to do these things together as we gather together. Now, I'm going to say something right here. And when I'm done, I may have folks requesting my resignation. If that's what the church wants, hallelujah, I'll preach somewhere else. I love you. And how many times you heard me say it? If I didn't love you, I would not be brutally honest with you. Now, I want you to listen. But I especially want you on Facebook to listen to me right now. I understand. I understand. Because of all that's happened this past year, all the craziness that's been going on, that people have chosen not to come to church because of the virus. Now, I want to make something very clear. Please do not hear what I am not saying because I don't want the text or emails or letters. I'm not talking about choosing not to come to church because of a legitimate reason with the virus. I realize there are some people, they have health issues. And they cannot be in a group of people. There are people who have a depressed immune system. I understand all that. I honestly do. But, there are a lot of folks, and, and I'm not talking about choosing not to come to church I'm not talking about the choice. Let me put it this way. I'm talking about the motivation behind the choice. Okay? 
There's some folks I realize and I understand, and everybody gathered here today, I hope every person here understands. There are some people, they have a legitimate concern. Now, you say, well, God will heal me. God will take care of me. Absolutely. According to God's will, it's going to play out. It's going to happen. But God also give you some common sense. Use it. Some people are so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. You know what I'm talking about? God give you some common sense. Now, let me say this right here. I realize there are legitimate reasons why some folks cannot come to church. But listen, there's a lot of Christians today, they want to hear a sermon or a worship song, and, and when they feel like it, when it's convenient for them, that's when they want to hear it. And, they, and, and gathering every week to hear God's Word preached or to sing God's Word with other believers, it's just not convenient for many folks today. It's a whole lot better to sit home in your pajamas and, and watch some sermon or some service five or ten hours after it's already taken place. And people are using the virus as an excuse not to come to church and gather with other believers. I know some of you may say, Preacher, I cannot believe you said that. There are people that will not come to church and they say, I can't because of the virus. But yet they go shopping, they go to restaurants, they are at the gym working out, they travel across state and across country, they do all these other things, but they cannot come to church just one time a week. Oh, I can't be around people. Really? As far as I know, we have not had a case of the virus being transferred here in our church family. Everyone who has been affected has been outside of the church family. Let me tell you something. Listening to a podcast of your favorite preacher while you're at the gym or sitting on your back deck drinking coffee or listening to your three favorite worship songs through your earbuds and singing along by yourself, I want you to understand that does not make you more passionate as a follower of Christ. It usually makes you less effective as a follower of Christ. And I say that because continually disconnecting yourself from a community worship and a family worshiping together is always going to make you less faithful to Christ than connecting yourself regularly and routinely with a family of believers. We gather regularly, folks, with other members of the body to preach God's Word, to pray, to sing the Word of God. Because the Word of God shows us and reminds us that Jesus uses flawed people to accomplish His work on this earth in spite of our sins and imperfections. Christian, that's a sign of God's grace. And the church, being the church, gives the world a front row seat to the matchless power to the enduring grace, to the awesomeness of our God. And I'm telling you, it fuels Christians' lives so they can live full thanksgiving, gratitude, full lives of thanksgiving. The church is important. Coming together is important. That's why we will not close the doors of this church on Sundays. I don't care what happens in the future. I will be here to preach. The doors will be open. If people want to come, they can come. If they don't, they don't have to. We'll live stream. You say, well, I, I, you know, I, I think maybe you're listening on Facebook. We've got to have social distancing. We've got enough to social distance here now. 
There's a fourth thing. Thanks living, gratitude, a grateful heart will be a life dominated by dedication to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. A person that is truly thankful uh, because they have been rescued, they have been redeemed through the gospel, they will gladly live all of their life in the name, for the name, and because of the name of Jesus Christ. Because Christian... In the name of Christ, in that name comes our identity. In that name comes our responsibility. And also in that name comes our eternity. Think about this, Christian. Jesus willingly surrendered all of his life to save yours and to save mine. Now, I thankfully, as a follower of Christ and a child of God, I thankfully live all of my life every day for him. Nothing off limits. There's no activity, no endeavor, no event, no goal that's exempt from the lordship of Jesus Christ. One theologian said it like this. He said there's not one square inch in all this universe over which Jesus does not point to and say mine. Mine, mine, mine. Every day I live in total agreement to that fact by submitting my life to him and saying, Lord, it's yours. Nothing else, nothing less, nothing more. It's all yours. So let me ask you, and I'm winding it up here. Is every part of your life, word and deed, dedicated, committed to glorify the name of Christ? Is there any part that you have made off limits to him? Years ago, the Reuben Donnelly Company in, in uh, Chicago, they were the nation's largest printer of magazines. And they also had a great big machine. This is back before the days of all the computers and stuff. They had a great big machine. They would send mailers out reminding people whose subscriptions had expired. So one day a little spring in that great big machine broke. And that machine sent to a rancher way out in Powder Bluff, Colorado, sent him 9,734 notices that his National Geographic subscription had expired. 9,734. The next day, that rancher drove to the nearest post office, which was 10 miles away. He got a money order for the renewal, and he put a note in there and said, okay, okay, send me the magazine. I give up. <laughs> Folks, is there anything in your life or heart or mind that you've been holding back from complete surrender and control of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why don't, you, why don't you this morning just lay it down to him? Lay it before him and simply say, Lord, today I give up. I give it to you. Why not with, with a grateful, with a thankful heart, with joy in your heart, realize that that's what he desires from you. Just give up and give it all to him. I'm going to tell you, if you'll do that, you'll be able to live with thanksgiving. You'll be living and you'll live a gratitude in your heart every day regardless of what happens around you you will be thankful you bow your heads please Father I pray for those this morning that need to do what I just said. They need to just, just give up on their struggle. 
They need to just, Father, realize that your desire, your will, your plan is what's best for them. And, Father, they would submit to that this morning. Father, I thank you for your grace that reaches down to us. And I praise you. Your word tells us where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I'm so thankful for that. I pray you'll forgive me for the times that I have not had that that grateful heart and the times I have not expressed that gratitude to you. Father, I pray we'd all be reminded today that if it was not for your grace, there'd be no hope for any of us. And Father, if for no other reason than that, we should be eternally grateful. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please?